All right, we're kicking it off on a Friday edition. It is Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you. What's up, AV? Buddy, haven't seen you in ages. What's going on? Not much. Uh, Wes says to say hello. Wes. Yeah. Gilbertson? Gilbertson. Did he say winky face? Did he say anything else? I just sent a thing about some golf thing. He's trying to get me to acknowledge publicly that uh, our first round matchup didn't necessarily go one individual's way. He called it a first round bye. Well, I mean, yeah, I was well aware of that. I will do no such such thing at this present time. That wasn't in the contract. That wasn't agreed upon or discussed. But I do own wings and beer. Mm. Which is kind of a win for me because that means I get wings and beer too. That's true. So. Well, yeah. How rude would it be if you was just like, no, I get them. You have to sit there and <laughs> yeah, watch me just, drink and eat and do allowed. nothing at all. You're not allowed any that, of them. That would be a Wes Gilbertson move. Well, Flames talk fam. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Uh, yeah, speaking of Aaron Vickers, you know him from NHL.com, managing editor at FC Hockey. And one of our uh, favorite co-hosts on Flames Talk here on Sportsnet. Top five? Top five? At least. Perfect. Minimum. Uh, We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Dot com. We've got lots to get to on the program today, A.V. We will look ahead to what's going to be a very special Saturday at Rogers Centre in Toronto. Yes. As, uh, yes, the Jays and Cubs do play tonight and kick off a series from Toronto. But everyone's looking forward to tomorrow where Jose Bautista will be inducted into the Blue Jays level of excellence. He has signed a one-day contract with the Jays to retire a member of the uh, organization. We'll hear from Jose uh, at his press conference, which is going on right now in Toronto. Uh, hear how he's feeling ahead of his big day tomorrow. That's not the only Jays news we're watching. Uh, Alec Manoa has also been sent down to AAA Buffalo as his inconsistent season continues. So we'll talk about that. Taylor's got your Jays report. We'll uh, jump in with the Calgary Stampeders ahead of their matchup against the BC Lions tomorrow. Patrick Dumas is going to join us in the 2 o'clock hour. And our off-season in review uh, continues. We're going to take a look at the New Jersey Devils, who uh, impressed a lot of people last year in the postseason and might have gotten better this off-season. They also hooked up with the Calgary Flames for a trade. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Mike Morreale going to join us from NHL.com. Uh, think of uh, what he thought on the Tyler Toffoli trade. Maybe we'll get a little Yegor Sharon Govich scouting report for a guy that watches the Devils up close and personal. So lots to get to on the program. And... It's a Friday. We have uh, two chances for you to win a pair of tickets into the Shaw Charity Classic. Ooh. We've been doing this all week on the program and uh, special edition. Since we didn't have a show on Monday, we got two pairs to give away today. So stay tuned for that. That sounds like a heck of a Friday. Like I'd ask if I'm eligible. I don't know if I have PTSD from the last time I happened to be at that <laughs> course, standing in the dark, watching Wes Gilbertson beat me. But hey, anything to get him beyond the first round for the first time in his career. And as a rookie <laughs> in the event, I learned so much that I can bring forward to next year. Like 
bring more than one club. Mm. Don't trust Chris Dornan when he says it's a 135-yard no. shot. You're hitting glow-in-the-dark balls that are basically bricks. That night, it was a little drizzly that day. The air's a little thicker. Probably needed my 145 club. So I had to really torque on it. And when you really have to do that, typically good things don't happen. So it was Chris Dornan's fault is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, Wes could have hit a worse shot too. So I'll put some of the blame on him. I certainly could have done the thing with that event. And it's a wonderful charity event. Jake Bean of the Columbus Blue Jackets, local Calgary kid, won it. I believe the proceeds uh, from his charity go to Kids Sport Calgary, which is incredible. It's just, you learn a lot from going once. And when you don't advance, the only thing you want to do is hit another ball. And you yeah. can't. You're done. It's game over. You go in, you swing once, and then you sit there and drink a beverage for the next couple of hours. All you want to do is hit another ball. You're not allowed. Nope. I mean, I sure I could have probably weaseled a couple swings in right at the end when it was yeah. all said and done, but that's not good sportsmanship. No. But you just want to prove something to yourself at that point. And now you got to wait. Till next year, 365-ish days. That's going to be a lot of driving range time, buddy. You'll have a lot of time to think about it for sure. I'm going to declare right now, I'm challenging Wes to a rematch. Wow. Yeah. You hear that, Wes? You've been called out. Do we see a rematch between Vickers and Gilbertson at next year's edition? Now I uh, don't. You have to ask Chris too. Is it? Can we make that happen? Is it a randomizer? Chris probably doesn't want to automatically advance west of the second <laughs> round again. If we're being honest, but hey, you do what you got to do. I guess I don't know. Yeah, but uh, like it has a real good charm. Like Vickers Gilbertson two. We can do a whole poster yeah, up. It's like you it's name like it. Musk Zuckerberg one, except oh this god, is is way am, more I, am I am I Musk in this then? You make your own determinations as to who you are. Huh. I actually don't want to be either. To be no, that's fair. Yeah, that's okay. Anyways, uh, let's get started. Talk some Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, let's start with the positive news. Uh, one of the most storied Toronto Blue Jays players of all time, Mr. Vickers, yes, uh, is getting some well-deserved recognition. You have plenty of memories to look back on from Joe. Uh, from I was going to say Joey Bats, but I mean, it goes by Jose Bautista too. Bautista is going to throw him out at first. He got him! Belted to left field. This ball is sailing, and it's sailing on out of here. There's that two-home run or two-run home run you're looking for. Swing and a drive. High five by left field. This is deep. This is 50. so long and it's gonna burn you the bat flip the 50 home run season fiery competitor what comes to mind when you think of jose bautista and his time with the toronto blue jays i mean it's like if you're looking for one singular event it's got to be the bat flip right game five in 2015 against texas like that's is that the biggest blue jays related where were you moment since I don't know if I'm stretching it, so check me on this, but Joe Carter, like that was the uh, most discussed single play, single swing, single reaction, single buzz since Carter went yard to win the World Series. 
Is there something in there? Is there something Roy Halladay related? Whether it be I'm trying perfect to th- game. I'm trying to think. I don't. I think his perfect game came with with Philly. That's right. Plenty yeah. of 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 complete games, and was by far their most dominant pitcher. Second in Cy Young voting. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. That that's the biggest. They were also the only problem with Roy Halladay stinting. There's nothing to do with him. Was they just weren't very yeah. competitive, right? But that moment for the Toronto Blue Jays with Jose Bautista in the bat flip, they were, you know, every bit everybody thought a, a World Series contender, and they, sh- you know, stunned the world with that inning and what happened beforehand. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been a bigger moment since. And that's great that you have a moment like that, but that doesn't take away at all or detract. It's, it's one thing if some guy happened to hit that and toss about, but it was Batista who, as you mentioned, is going into the Blue Jays level of excellence at Rogers center on Saturday honors the most impactful individuals in franchise history. I mean, over the course of his tenure, 288 home runs. That's only second behind Carlos Delgado. You mentioned the 50 home run season had 54, which is a franchise record, six consecutive all-star game appearances from 2010 to 2015, three silver slugger awards, when it's all said and done throughout his entire career, 344 home runs, 975 RBIs, 1,022 runs scored. Like he, to, to bring him back to the one singular moment, that was a where are you, where were you moment. But at the same time, he had a lot of good seasons that led to this. Award. It's not just, oh, I happened to hit one of the most important home runs in franchise history, which was also probably the second most dramatic swing in Blue Jays history. No, he had a run with Toronto that elevates him, in my opinion, to top five status among Blue Jays players of all time. Uh, And as he talked about this afternoon, the importance for him to sign this one-day contract with the Jays and make it official that he will be remembered for his time as a member of the Blue Jays organization. To the whole Blue Jays organization, uh, the Rogers family, and um, everyone here for, for coming. Uh, as Mark said, this has been a long time coming, but as we know, there were some challenges a few years back, and this was uh, the soonest we could get it done. I appreciate uh, the gesture and the one-day contract, but um, I think everybody knew for a while that I had you know, been retired, but this is a way to make it official, and um, what other way to make it better than just coming back here to Toronto and signing this uh, one-day contract and making it uh, official official, so... Um, Happy to be here, and I can't wait for tomorrow. And I'll admit, I didn't know that. I had thought that, like he says in that clip, that he was retired. But until you actually submit that paperwork with the league, you're, you're never really done. So I guess that, that was news to me, but a welcome piece of news because, let's be honest, although he did finish his tenure with a couple different teams and he started his career off as a Pittsburgh Pirate, he is a Blue Jay. Oh, yeah. And will forever be associated with the Blue Jays. I mean, the longest tenure he had was with the Blue Jays, if I'm not mistaken. You mentioned after being with the Jays, Atlanta, the Mets, Philly. But it always just felt like this was the natural fit. And I didn't necessarily expect a one-day contract. But when you look at, okay, who would, if he were to go to Cooperstown, what jersey is he wearing? What hat is he wearing? It's going to be a Blue Jays one. I think that was without a doubt, even though, as you mentioned, hadn't been with the organization since 2017, 2018, whatever it was. This is just a a natural fit 
And I love the one-day contracts. And it just kind of ties a bow, puts some closure on a contract. You mentioned, yeah, like, you knew he wasn't coming back. Like, there wasn't ever a scenario. Like, he he last played in 2018. Yeah. And he's soon to be 43. But getting the one-day contract, getting the honor that he'll receive on Saturday with Toronto Blue Jays, just a nice sort of conclusion drawn on the career of Jose Batista. Well, and as he talks about here as well from this press conference this afternoon, it's a great gesture for him to have this from the organization, the one-day contract, but he says in his mind he was always retired as a member of the Blue Jays. Just the symbolism of signing the one-day contract and retiring, such a retiring with a Blue Jays uniform on. They didn't get to play your final game as a player, but the final moment in baseball, I guess, kind of like uh, having a Blue Jays uniform on. What does that mean to you? It's huge. Obviously, I, I owe a great deal to this franchise. They gave me a chance, and I was able to accomplish a lot here. So um, I definitely was already, in my head, retired as a Blue Jay. But to make it official, it's, it's kind of cool. And uh, this way, you know, fans can, can have their moment, too, and know that uh, I was proudly um, a member of the club, I guess, for, for the last uh, one last time. And uh, it was officially the last club that I was a part of before uh, officially announcing the retirement. And maybe in baseball, that matters more than anything because of what you said. I don't know if Jose Bautista is automatically going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame one day, but it matters to people what cap you wear going into the Hall of Fame. And even as we were doing this yesterday, and we were talking about some Jose Bautista things. It was interesting because I went on the MLB website and was looking through uh, his stats and some of his years. And the last picture they have up from him on his profile is him in a Phillies hat. Ooh. <laughs> like, Looks weird. It just doesn't feel right, right? It's Brodeur with the Blues jersey on or yeah. Medano in the Detroit. the Detroit one. There's a thousand examples. You Alfredson in Detroit. Detroit had like nine of them. Yeah, it Detroit like... loved doing that. But it's, you're right. In, in, in baseball specifically... If you've had 10 years with other teams, now, again, this one would be pretty simple because, like we said, most, if not all, of his success came with the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, and had 10 years with the Jays. Next closest was Pittsburgh with five and then a bunch of one years. Yeah, but nowhere near the success he ever had as a Jay. Right. So this one would have been pretty easy, but that matters to people, and it matters that he goes out this way, and it's an added bonus because the level of excellence on its own a massive thing in the Jays organization. Look at the names that are there and how rarely they do this. Didn't need to give him the one-day contract, but clearly important to them to make that official that he ends his career as a Jay. Well, the last, now the last, I mean, I know it's not on field, but the last baseball image you'll have of Jose Batista until, you know, should he get the nod, but it's in a Blue Jays scenario. It's not, with the Phillies or anything like that. You mentioned his headshot being the Phillies. Well, they're not going to go and update his headshot based off of this press conference or anything or this one-day contract, but the lasting visual now will be Jose Batista, Toronto Blue Jays. It's fitting. It ties a nice bow on it, nice conclusion drawn to at least this point. We'll see if the future holds anything in terms of, as you mentioned, the Hall of Fame. But Jose Batista and the Toronto Blue Jays you just even even Pittsburgh, you don't picture him in a Pittsburgh jersey. You don't picture him with Kansas City or Atlanta or the Mets. You picture him as a Toronto Blue Jay. You mentioned been a decade there. That's where all his success came. 
it's just a fitting sort of bow to put on the the present that the Blue Jays received in Jose Batista back in 2008. Uh, from some really good news about Jose Batista to some less good news, the Jays have optioned Alec Manoa to AAA Buffalo today. Uh, Manoa has remained inconsistent since the All-Star break when he returned uh, from a stint with the uh, Jays team in Florida, uh, Florida Complex League, where he was for uh, a number of weeks. Uh, this is a tough one, but uh, as you hear from John Schneider, who recently spoke on Alex Manoa, Alex Manoa, it's just been some good and some bad with him, and having six starters right now for the Jays, a luxury that a lot of teams don't have. Here's where the most recent uh, comments that John Schneider had on Alex Manoa. Yeah, it's just walks, right? It's walks, you know, especially bottom of the order. You know, I come around to score. Um, I think it was a four-pitch walk to Loriano to start that inning, too. Um, just got to be in the zone. When he's in the zone, he's good. And, um, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of hits, but I think when, you, when you're putting unnecessary guys on base, you know, they steal third as well. It's, uh, you know, you put yourself behind the eight ball. Hunjin Ryu's probably made this easier than it would be for the Toronto Blue Jays, knowing how good he's been since coming back from Tommy John surgery, but still a disappointing day for the Jays that have to see Manoa get sent back down during this important part of their schedule. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it's not the first time and I don't know what happens and I'm not going to claim we all saw my performance at the, at the glow in the dark shootout. I'm not a high performance athlete in pressure situations, (laughs) but he was third in Cy Young voting last year when he went 16-7 and seven with a 2.24 ERA and a 0.99 whip. He's at 5.87 this year and a 1.74 in 87 in the third innings. We're not talking about five years ago he was a finalist for the Cy Young. We're talking last season. I'm not sure where that sort of fell off, but it certainly has. He was also demoted in June when he had a one and seven record with a six, three, six ERA. He needs to get his game back in order. And if that's in triple a Buffalo, so be it. You're right. Ryu coming back and being serviceable. They were never going to, they weren't going to roll with a six man rotation for the rest of the year. And Ryu coming back and being serviceable gives them the opportunity to maybe work out some of the kinks in Manoa's game, get him back to, I'm not going to say get him back to Cy Young contendership at this point, because that's probably going to need a bigger offseason reset. But if you can get him back to a level where you're comfortable using him in your five-man rotation again, then the Blue Jays are just going to be that much better as they push for the playoffs. Uh, Jays are in action tonight, kicking off a series with the Chicago Cubs. It's a 5-0-7 first pitch. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 960. Jose Barrios gets the start for the Jays. We'll have more details on tonight's matchup against the Cubs with Taylor and a Jays report coming up a little bit later on. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side, switch up to some hockey news, and chat uh, our NHL offseason in review as it continues. We're staying out east. We talked New York Rangers hockey yesterday. Let's stay in that area. Chat some New Jersey Devils, the team that actually bumped the Rangers out of the playoffs in round one last year. Of course, they have a Flames connection this offseason thanks to the Tyler defoley Yegor sharon Govich trade. But where are the Devils when it comes to competing in what can be a pretty stacked Eastern Conference right now? We'll ask Mike Morreale of NHL.com all about the Devils when we come back here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
Sportsnet today is rolling on. Hour one, Logan Gordon, Aaron Vickers along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. And this hour, continuing our NHL off-season review. Yesterday, headed east to talk about the New York Rangers. Now today, diving in on the team that eliminated the Rangers in an upset special in round one. And it's looking to build upon it this year. Chatting some New Jersey Devils hockey. And very happy to welcome you to the program from NHL.com. From the Devils, it is Mike Morreale joining us this afternoon. Mike, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? What's going on, Logan? Aaron, good to good to talk with you again. Glad to be on the program, guys. Glad to have you, man. Uh, interesting offseason for the New Jersey Devils. I think they probably exceeded some expectations last year and now clearly a team that's willing to build off of them with the moves they've made this off season. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I think actually Tom Fitzgerald, the general manager said at best Logan, uh, during his, um, availability at the conclusion of the season, when he was asked, you know, what's in store for the team now. And basically he said that a standard has been set. It's been reset back in New Jersey, you know, expectations are now high again and, and it's go time. I mean, but the Devils right now, uh, you know, the offensive total of 291 goals was fourth best in the league last season. They uh, they really took a, a step forward on D, which I think a lot of us are looking to, to find out as well, surrendering just a little over 225 goals. But when you think about New Jersey now, you think about the top talents, right, including Jack Hughes and his brother Luke, who's expected to play a major role along the blue line this year, Dougie Hamilton, uh, Timo Meyer, uh, Jesper Bratt, Dawson Mercer, a lot of good young talent, still good young talent. Um, and Tom Fitzgerald was able to, you know, to, to lock up a lot of those guys who were either UFAs or RFAs this offseason and made a couple trades as well to bring in some, some fresh talent. So expectations are high, guys, you know, coming into the, the 23-24 season, no doubt. Curious about the offense, Mike. You mentioned it before. Now they're going to have a full season of Timo Meyer. They've added Tyler Toffoli. There's certainly some expectation, at least outside of New Jersey, that Hughes has some more room to grow that he hasn't peaked yet. I'm just curious from your perspective, what excites you most about the team that scored the fourth most goals last season, having all these additions, whether they be internal growth or full seasons from players? Yeah, Aaron, that, you know, it's a good, it's a good point. And I think offensively, the Devils look, pretty, you know, are solid. I, I think when you look from the top of the lineup down, I mean, they can throw out, you know, four decent lines. You look at their top six now, um, I, I think it, it's probably up there with, with some of the better teams in the league as well. When you look at, you know, lines that could be made up of, of a Meyer, Keisher, Bratt, uh, Eric Halla, Hughes, Toffoli, or Palat, if you wanted to throw him on, on that left-wing side instead of Halla. But, you know, Dawson Mercer has proven himself to be such a versatile performer. He can play wing alongside Hughes. He, he did that so well last year, or he can play that centerman's role. Um, you know, Mike McLeod is back on a contract. Uh, uh, he, he was, he was solid as that, that fourth line, third line role last year, down the middle of the ice. He was their top faceoff guy. He was, uh, I believe he was, if not the, the top, maybe top three among faceoff leaders in the league last season was Mike McLeod. So, you look, uh, you know, coming up through the system, a Nolan Foot is expected to maybe make a jump in here. Maybe you put him on that left side along with McLeod. You know, Nathan Bashan is back 
And, of course, Bastion and McLeod have a good familiarity with each other, uh, playing together not only in Major Junior, it seems like a century ago, but now with the Devils as well. Um, so I really like what the Devils have done offensively. I think we should, you know, we should probably see a, consistent, uh, a consistency from last season entering this season because you have those high-end young players that now know what it's like to go through that playoff experience, what they need to do in the regular season to, to kind of maintain that consistency that they had last year. I think no, no one really expected Jack Hughes to, to put up the goal production he did last year. Obviously, he was going to put up some points, but even he surprised himself with the goal production. But that just that just goes to show, you know, the systems that Lindy Rock was able to employ, the line changes he was able to make in-game, the assistant coaching staff, what they were able to do, and these players were committed to to, to really turning things around last year. And now they want to maintain that. So, And, and I would anticipate that forward-wise, and this club is set, Aaron. Let's just jump into it because it'll be the biggest point of interest here in Calgary. The Toffoli for Sharon Govish swap right before the draft. Curious, what is the expectation in New Jersey on Toffoli, who was the Flames' leading scorer last year with 34 goals and 73 points? Is that where the bar is set for him, or where does the organization see him fitting, and what kind of production should they expect out of him? I know, you know, Fitzgerald and a lot of the, the, the assistants and even teammates have said that, you know, this is a guy that's going to bring that experience. And you know what, Logan, that, that was a big thing last year was, you know, this team, you know, Fitzgerald was saying how they're so young, they, they, they really don't know what it's like to, to, to really make that playoff push late in the season or to even battle down the stretch. And I think, you know, having players with that playoff pedigree Toffoli, obviously, is one of those type players uh, is going to really benefit this team. And I know some people will listen to this and say, ah, you know, it's, you know, it's locker room fodder. It's just a player in there. But these players stepped out. I can't, I can't begin to say, you know, Andre Palat, you're in the locker room, you know, after a morning skate, listening to, you know, players coming over to him, listening to what he's saying to other players, how he's, you know, committed to really, you know, wanting to win and knows what it takes to win. And and these young players look at that, and they're going to see it to Foley in that same type of mindset. Now, look, he, you know, set NHL career highs and goals, assists and points, as you said, uh, with the Flames uh, last season. Uh, you know, and, and even to Foley said it, the past few seasons, uh, he's per- he feels as though he's personally gotten better and better. It's something he really takes pride in. He trained real hard over the summer to contribute during the season, and obviously he wants to come in and score goals and get points and do all those things. But at the same time, I really uh, think that he, he takes a lot of pride, and I can sense that in, you know, in the conversations we had since he's come over to Jersey. He really takes pride in playing that full 200-foot game, and that's what Lindy Ruff likes. That's, what, that's the devil's way. These players have to play a defensive type of game in addition to playing offense, and uh, you know, you see how well they were able to push the pace when they play that way. So it's a follow is going to be a big part of that. I'm curious who you see him slotting with. He's a very much a trigger man with the right shot. As you said, he, he can play that 200 foot games. Is he more a, a Heischer guy or a Hughes guy in your mind? I believe you had him with Heischer in your NHL.com roster reset earlier this summer. Yeah, Aaron, you know, I, I do. I kind of like him. Off the bat, probably probably he'd be with a Heischer, but Heischer also played well with, with Jesper Bratt last year, so it's kind of tough to determine. I, I think training camp's going to determine a lot here in some of those preseason games and, and where the fit actually is. You know, I would expect uh, Ruff to play around with maybe Bratt alongside Heischer, Toffoli alongside Hughes, 
maybe to start. Alexander Holtz is another question mark, right, Aaron, yep. coming into this season. We've, we've all been waiting to see that trigger on that right side with Holtz as well, and we all know what he was, he's able to do in the power play if, if they're ever able to get that going with Alexander Holtz and the shot that he possesses. He's been kind of slow in his grooming, still a young player, still up and coming, but um, I think he's going to make some noise too in training camp. But as far as the Foley goals, you know, top six, definitely. I, I, I could see him playing both ways. I see him playing top power play, getting that time there as well. Um, you know, if they use him on a PK as well, I don't know if they're going to or not. But uh, uh, I think he's going to be, a you know, that type of player that's going to be able to put up points alongside either one of those centers. Mike, I don't know if the buzz in Calgary reached New Jersey over the course of this offseason, but when Craig Conroy came in, he said he wasn't going to have seven pending unrestricted free agents on his roster. Tyler Toffoli was certainly one of those guys. Is there any chatter or noise or rumors about the New Jersey Devils putting something together on an extension for Toffoli, or is that just a sort of a wait-and-see approach? Yeah, it's a wait-and-see. He was asked about it twice during his uh, his conference call uh, after coming over to Jersey and actually uh, Tom Fitzgerald was asked about it as well. Look, a lot of these players, you know, they need, to, they, need, they need to learn what it's like here in New Jersey too before they actually uh, want to settle. And Timo Meyer was in the same position, guys. Uh, came over, uh, obviously tested what it was like here in Jersey. The fact that the travel is, is a lot better. I mean, you have the practice ring connected to the main rink here. The facilities are all the same, whether you're in the practice side of the area or the or the main side, it's a lot of uh, consistency uh, throughout the building. Uh, not, and again, I mean, the traveling in the you know the Eastern Conference is is uh, uh, is a big benefit. And it was something that Timo Meyer actually discussed uh, when he got his uh, when he signed here with the Devils as well. So Tafoli's going to see what it's like here. He's going to take it all in. Um, and obviously, this team right now is on the upswing. So you would think uh, with all that, the combination of that, the travel. Um, obviously, you know, he'd want to get his family settled in and see what that's like for them as well. It's going to play a big part. But, uh, you know, everyone that has been here, and, and Tom Fitzgerald has done a wonderful job in uh, making these additions and making it really feel like home for a lot of the players that he's brought in from the outside, uh, obviously in addition to the big, uh, uh, you know, draft picks that they've had here over the past three, four years. But uh, to get these free agent acquisitions as they've had, uh, the Dougie Hamiltons and, uh, you know, the Andre Palats, the Eric Hollas, who, who played a, a, major, a major role last year for the Devils in their, in their victory against the Rangers uh, in that first round, I think plays a big part, and Tyler's going to see that. Mike, just jumping off that Tyler Toffoli trade here, for Flames fans here in Calgary that maybe didn't see a lot of the Devils last year from our perspective uh, from your perspective, I should say, what uh, are the Flames getting in a guy like Yegor Sharangovich? Um, a real determined, hardworking type player. Goes two ways. I mean, he's a great skater, obviously. Um, had about 30 points last year, if I'm not mistaken. I think 13 of those being goals. I think he played about a little over 70 games last year with the Devils. He had no points in, in three playoff games for the Devils last year. They were so loaded up front that Lindy Ruff had a lot of options there and forwards to use, but He's in that learning phase. He's obviously a young player, a young dynamic player, a real, a real favorite in the locker room, too, uh, was kind of a jokester with the teammates. They loved him. Um, so, you know, he's willing to talk. His English is good. He's willing to talk to the media whenever, he, you know, he need be. Uh, he comes up big in big situations every so often. 
Uh, but for the most part, I think what Lindy Ruff liked about him in those, you know, 75, 70, uh, you know, 75 regular season games last year was his consistency. And he listened to the coaching staff. He soaked in everything that needed to be done, uh, was a regular in, in, in the video sessions uh, with Lindy Ruff and the assistants coaches to, to learn more uh, and become a better player. And I think that's only going to continue here in Calgary. Mike, I'm curious, is he more the 24-goal, 46-point guy from 2021-22, or is he more the 13-goal, 30-point guy from last season? No, I'd say the former. Uh, I, I'd say the 20-goal guy. I, I would anticipate. And, again, I mean, it goes to line mates, who he's playing with, and, and obviously he had a chance to play with, with Jack Hughes. He was, on, he was on a line with Jack Hughes for, for several games, uh, many games last year. He accrued a lot of his points, a lot of his goals then with, with – obviously with the, the dynamic play that Hughes, uh, the player Hughes is, um, Sharon Govich was able to take advantage of that. So you put him with decent players, put him with good players, he's able to get that chemistry going. I, I think he's, you know, he could be a middle six guy and he could still score, uh, you know, 20, 20 plus goals uh, for the Flames. But he's that type of player. The work ethic there, uh, what he's able to do and what he's able to bring to his line mates uh, Every shift is something I think Calgary fans uh, are going to really appreciate. You mentioned Alexander Holtz. I want to talk to you about a couple of kids, and you, I think you made a, made a bit of a reference to Luke Hughes as well. Um, of course, the last couple drafts, coming away with Luke Hughes, uh, Simone Nemich, what's the plan for these young defenders, and is one ahead of the other in terms of the depth chart, and will we, is there an opportunity to, to see both in New Jersey this year? Yeah, Luke Hughes is a given, right? Luke Hughes is a given. He, he's going to be on the roster, particularly since the the Devils lost, you know, two key players. And this is the one area, guys, that I'm curious to see how the Devils are going to respond uh, after the, you know, you know, two big losses here um, on, on defense. You know, Ryan Graves, Damon Severson, two veteran guys that played a big part. Uh, Graves, uh, I think, led the team in block shots. Severson. Uh, you know, was a, was a major, major contributor both in the regular season and, and the playoffs for the Devils. So defensively, I'm curious to see how the Devils are going to respond. And, you know, Luke Hughes will come in. Uh, you know, I know he's a, he's a left, left-hand shot, but he can also play a right point. As we know, Aaron, you know, he did it at the NTDP. Um, he, he did it a few times, uh, obviously a few times in Michigan where he played right, right the right side yeah. almost uh, for the most part. So, um, it'll be interesting to see where they want to put him full time. He was playing left uh, left point for most of the, most of his play here in Jersey. I think he played two or three games late in the regular season. Got some time and uh, got some time in, in the uh, playoffs as well. So Hughes is a given. Simon Nemich is a player. Everyone's kind of wondering where he's going to fit in. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see in training camp. I think you really start to find a balance between appropriate times to get involved on the offensive side and the times to play a game that had a little more discipline to it. Um, I, I spoke in depth to Utica coach Kevin Deneen uh, about Simon, Simon Nemich and, and what, you know, how he's looked last season. And obviously 65 games at 12 goals, 34 points. So pretty good uh, for Simon to go in there and not having a lot of experience on those North American rinks and being able to do what he did there. I, I think Nemich, he might Fill in early this season. Like, I really got to see him in training camp, but he could be there, you know, midseason, if not earlier in the season. Nolan Foot is another player, I think. Uh, obviously, the Devils acquired him in that trade with Tampa in 2020. Uh, uh, Nolan has uh, no problem with his identity as a player and, and how he's going to have success. He has, he has the ability to expand that offensive side, but I think he's very aware that his ticket to Newark 
is through his size, his commitment to defense, the, that physicality, and the offensive side with it as well. Uh, Seamus Casey, another D guy who I was really impressed with during development camp, uh, selected in the 22 draft. I believe it was the 40, number 46 overall out of the University of, of Michigan. Right-handed shot. I think this kid will be uh, with the Devils uh, maybe in a couple of years, give him some time. Uh, he'll, he'll play at the University of Michigan uh, this year, but really liked what I saw. The coaches were just so impressed with his intelligence. And, and then just a, a, a quick thing out here on, on Alexander Holtz, uh, Aaron, as you mentioned, uh, the number seven pick in the 2020 draft, of course. He, uh, he just played 14 games, was nicked up a lot last year, suffered uh, some, some injuries, uh, six goals, 11 points. He played in New Jersey, 19 games total. Uh, he's very aware of the areas of his game that, uh, the Devils have high expectations, and he's willing to put in the work and, and the steps to getting there. Uh, he's got that great self-awareness, and I think the commitment is there. Uh, Kevin Deneen said that he's positive he's going to be uh, you know, a contributor in the organization in the very near future, possibly this year. So we're all hoping to see that Alexander Holtz that we saw you know, uh, overseas before he was drafted by the Devils because he was such a force with that shot of his. Tom Fitzgerald's done a really good job of yeah. restocking the cupboards while adding veteran players. I, I do want to circle back on Luke a little bit, and this is kind of a disjointed two-part question, so stay with me. Is there a scenario where Lindy, Lindy Ruff would play two rookie defensemen on the blue line, and what is the expectation for Luke? You saw him for two regular season games, three playoff games. Where should the bar be set on Luke? All right, so... Obviously, I don't know the. Uh, I haven't t- asked uh, Lindy about this, yep. but I can tell you from previous talks with him, and just you know, kind of putting one and one together, there is no chance, no chance, that he has two rookies playing together as a pair. Because when I asked him about his philosophy behind playing rookie defensemen, rookie defensemen, that is, he said to me. I'm leery of putting one rookie defenseman out of my lineup, be, you know, whether it be a, a top four or, or even a top six. He goes, I'm, I'm always leery of having a, a rookie defenseman in a full-time role. So Luke's going to be there, yeah. but it'll be interesting to see how he uses him in that regard. I know you're probably also referring to Simon Nemec and if he'll be there. So if Simon is good enough to, to be in that role, I would imagine that uh, Lindy would have both those players with some veterans, uh, uh, along the blue line, I, I would imagine. I know that uh, the Devils also picked up Colin Milne this year uh, in that trade with Dallas. So that there's another there's another veteran defenseman that they could use alongside, uh, whether it be a Luke Hughes or a Simon Nemitz as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as as far as Luke goes and his his caliber of play, just exceptional. I mean, it, it was real fun watching him last year. Obviously, he had the end to end goal last year. Uh, and I think against the Capitals in the second to last game of the season. Um, uh, and in the playoffs, when, when he was needed to come in, he just played a consistent, uh, a consistent style game. He says he was ready for it. He certainly looked ready. He certainly wasn't out of place in what he needed to, to do to, to be successful in such a high tense environment. And that was against Carolina. Um, so, you know, Luke Hughes is coming in with obviously the pedigree guys. You all know that. But he's also a very, very talented defenseman and, and, a, and a guy that's the tallest of the Hughes brothers. So he also <laughs> kind of has that physical type element to his game. If it's hard, it's hard to imagine that, right? Guys, uh, yeah. uh, a Hughes with, with that physical mentality about his game. But Luke, 
But Luke does have that, so it'll be fun to watch him play this year. Not even close, the height comparison. Luke is 6'2", Jack <laughs> is 5'11", and Quinn's, what, 5'10"? So something, 5'10", yeah. something's got to give. Uh, Mike, speaking of uh, <laughs> young players who could play an interesting role in this New Jersey team, I'm very curious how you see the goaltending uh, for this New Jersey team. Mackenzie Blackwood's not in the picture anymore. Uh, it's Akira Schmidt and Vitek Vanacek heading into this. Schmidt had such a strong finish to the year. It's a smaller sample size for him than a guy like Vanacek. Is this Vanacek's net to lose, or is there going to be a competition in training camp between the two of them to work out who gets the majority of the starts for New Jersey? Another question mark on mine, Logan. It's a great question. You know, Vanacek and Akira Schmid are, are expected to battle for the starters role, I think, after Blackwood signed that two-year contract with San Jose. You know, Vanacek, of course, we all know, was, was the number one option for the first time in his career last season. And he played a huge role. And i got to be honest, guys, uh, to me, <clears throat> excuse me, to me, he was probably the MVP of the team over, the, you know, three-quarters of the season for what he was able to do and how he was able to muster things uh, for, for New Jersey's regular season success. Going, uh, I think he had, like, a little over 30 wins, 33 wins, a 2-4-5 goals against, a 9-11 save percentage, three shutouts in 52 games, 48 starts for the Devils. But he struggled late in the season uh, in March – he won five of his uh, nine games there, a 2-8-5, an 8-9-8 in 10 games, nine starts. He, he really failed to regain that form in, in seven playoff games, too. One and three, a 4-6-4, and an 8-25. So um, we asked, you know, Vanacek late in the season, too, and we saw him kind of struggling a little bit. You know, has, has the number of starts really gotten to you? And he said, he, by his own admission, he says, yeah, he goes, now I know why they need a you know one A and a one B. You need to you know you need some rest uh, as a starting goalie in this league because it is tough. Um, so you know after hearing stuff like that, you, you think to yourself, well, you know Vanacek and Schmidt are going to battle for it. And look, Schmidt as a rookie went nine five and two last year, uh, and eighteen regular season starts. Uh, but you know four and four, two three five, and a nine twenty one, two shutouts and nine playoff games. And obviously, he was the reason that the, the Devils were able to, you know, eliminate the New York Rangers there when they put him in, in between the pipes, and he did such a wonderful job. So, to me, uh, to me, Logan, I, I think that this is this this is not certain that it's Vanacek's net this year. We'll have to see in training camp how these two goalies put it together. And I got to be honest with you, I'm curious to see if if, if Tom Fitzgerald is going to make another move somewhere. To maybe get another veteran goalie in here um, to, to challenge as well, because it's an area. Look, it's an area that I feel is somewhat of a question mark after what Vanacek, you know, said and and how the end of the season went for him last year. It wasn't great. Now Schmidt picked it up. He did well, uh, but this is you know he's he's coming off a rookie season, so you don't know what his workload is going to be like, what he can you know withstand and maintain. Uh, obviously, he's a goaltender that looks so sharp, though, so comfortable in that nothing fazed the kid, and, and that was what the Devils liked about him so much. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this how this goalie situation transpires as training camp progresses. Mike, the three and threes are starting to hit the pages of NHL.com. New Jersey has not been released yet, but I'm curious if you'll give us a little bit of a sneak peek. The one of the features is the three questions facing the team of the day. Curious, from your perspective, what are some of the question marks? And you might have touched on it through this interview. But what are the question marks facing the New Jersey Devils this season? 
Yeah, I, you know, obviously are the Devils better now than they were a season ago? I, I think you're looking at a team that's probably about the same, right? I mean, with the with the exception of the questions I have, just want to see what they can do defensively if they're able to withstand uh, what they were able to do last year and then the goaltending questions. But offensively, this team is so dynamic, so strong, and you would have to think, you know, a good offense is a good defense as well. And if they're if they're able to maintain possession of the puck and, and win puck battles along the boards as they did so well last year that it's just going to continue this year. Goaltending, right? Goaltending is, is, is something that I'm really looking forward to watching. We discussed that uh, just a minute ago. And, uh, you know, I, I think also, you know, I, I'm curious if the Devils are going to take that next step, right, in their quest to become perennial Stanley Cup contenders. Look, they, they won the first round. I think a lot of people, all of us are expecting – at least the same type of scenario. If they're, if, are they going to, to take a take a first round win and, and maybe push it to a second round? And how far are they going to go this year? I think it's, you know, I think Fitzgerald did his part, has done his part so far, and you know, bringing in some pieces offensively that the team needed, uh, uh, some great complementary pieces. And we talked about Toffoli and and obviously re-signing uh, Timo Meyer, Eric Haller, as I mentioned, was was great last year for the Devils. And the veteran experience he he was able to provide, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if if they are able to push it even more. Because the one thing we all know, guys, right? It's like New Jersey learned a lot from last year's postseason run and should benefit from that experience. But this team is no longer going to surprise anyone uh, next season. So uh, teams are going to be, you know, it's going to be a big red X uh, on on the New Jersey Devils. Uh, with the, with the schedule makers after the schedule, and they look at that and opposing uh, teams see that the Devils are upcoming. It's not going to be a free win, and teams are going to know that. And, uh, they're going to you know, obviously give them their best, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Devils can respond to that every night uh, next season. Mike, really great stuff. Thanks so much for giving us some time today up here in Calgary. We really do appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your offseason, and hope we can catch up again during hockey season. Sounds great, Logan. Aaron, enjoy the rest of your summer, guys. Take Thank care. you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Mike Morreale joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Our off-season review continued this afternoon with a look in at the New Jersey Devils. They're on 112 points, 52 wins last year, a point behind the Canes in the Metro Division and third in the East, of course, with the Boston Bruins picking up 135 points last year. New Jersey Devils better than last year already in your mind or still a question mark? The only question I have is them losing Severson and Graves. Severson in a trade to Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. Graves signing with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're going to have Luke Hughes full-time, and he's a legit, legit NHL rookie. He's a guy that's probably going to eat 20 to 22 minutes out of the gate. But I'm curious how the defense sort of sustains those losses. Goaltending is a question mark, but I kind of felt it was a bit of a question mark last year as well. But you look at the additions. You got a full season of Timo Meyer. You got a full season of Tyler Toffoli. You've got growth still in Jack Hughes, and that's scary to think about as is, given how young he is and how good he is already. I don't think they're at the point where they're going to knock Carolina off the mountain in the Metro Division. But they're a, they're easily a second place team to me. I don't think the New York Rangers are going to challenge them for that position, and it'll come down to what they do in the playoffs for me. But this is probably a top four team in the East. I'm going to say, 
at this point. I feel I feel comfortable saying it. I don't know what Boston's going to do. Not sure where Tampa Bay is. These are Atlantic Division teams. Not really ready to anoint the Toronto Maple Leafs as a, as a top three team in the Eastern Conference at this point. So I'm very curious about the New Jersey Devils. I won't lie. Yeah, young talent's always interesting to see. That first playoff win under their belt, can they expand on it? I, I think that last point that Mike made to me is the one that's going to be key for New Jersey. You will take nobody by surprise this year. There will be no overlooking the New Jersey Devils when they come to town. That part of their rebuild or retool with these young guys, the Hughes brothers and everything, that's gone. Get prepared because you are going to be targeted as a team to watch for for this entire season. And I think that's going to be a new experience for them. Simply put, they'll be the hunted, not the hunter anymore. Yeah, I think that's for sure. Uh, thanks again to Mike for joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. That puts a wrap on hour one. He's Aaron Vickers. I'm Logan Gordon. Around the corner, a CFL power hour. The Stampeders with a massive game coming up on Saturday in BC against the Lions. We'll take a look at both teams as we head into Saturday's matchup. We'll hear from Matt Baker, got a BC Lions perspective, and a live stamps report. We'll check in with Patty Dumas later on in the hour. That, when hour two kicks off next, here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.